My name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors here, and delighted to open up God's Word together. Um, it's interesting, speaking of God's Word, um, have you ever noticed that certain phrases or pithy sayings from the Bible have found their way into our English language today? It's very common. Um, how about... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? It's always a King James, too. It always sounds punchier, doesn't it? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Uh, the blind leading the blind. Maybe you've heard a little bit of that in some of the smear campaigns going on. We won't mention names. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? Um, go the extra mile. Yeah, well, here, in this case, it'd be the kilometer. Um, the Good Samaritan, right? Um, the straight and narrow. Many of these common sayings or mottos are, are familiar to people who perhaps have never been to church or never even walked in a church in their whole life. Uh, we hear these phrases in the secular business world today. Uh, we hear these phrases in sport, in politics, in all different spheres of life. Now, let me give you one that you might have heard, and, and perhaps somebody quoted this verse at you who's entirely irreligious. And they quoted it in the King James. Judge not lest ye be what? Judged. It's amazing. If you want your non-Christian friends to actually quote the Bible, all you have to do today in a pluralistic, postmodern society is to say that is a sin. And they will quote at you Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not lest ye be judged. They may not know where that is in the Bible. They know it's there somewhere. And there are other people who might be a little bit more sympathetic to the things of God. Perhaps they consider themselves a Christian, would call themselves a Christian. They go to church, oh, you know, maybe not regularly, but, you know, they, they go to church and, and they have a, a soft, a, a sympathetic um, sort of disposition towards the things of God, towards Christianity, etc. And they too will quote to you Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. In fact, there are three life verses. Are these, judge not lest ye be judge, cast the first stone, and God is love. Their whole theology of God and man are built upon those three verses. So, don't judge, and if you do, go ahead and cast the first stone, buddy, because we know, after all, God wouldn't judge him because God is what? Love. Love. That's right. It's not a right understanding. Do we see that as God has disclosed himself in the Holy Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation? Is that all we're left with? No, we're, we're not. So then, I guess, 
how do we read this text? How do we read this passage in a way that's helpful? Because many today simply read the Bible only through this lens alone. Numerous folks in our culture read the Bible today simply like this, for instance. This is how, if you put on the PowerPoint, this <laughs> how people read our, our Bible, right? Judge not. Scratch it out. We don't want to be like that. So what, how do we balance all of this? Where do, here's where I'd like to go this morning. First, I want us to see what these verses in Matthew 7 are not saying, what these verses are not saying. Second, I want us to discover what these verses are saying. And lastly, we'll see if we can strike a balance with all of this. So what they're not saying, what they are saying, and is there a balance to all of this? That's where I want to go this morning. Sound good? All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your truth, ears to hear your voice, hearts to believe, and feet to walk in your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus says the famous phrase, do not judge. Crino in the Greek. It's a pretty broad term. Crino just means judge. Um, it's interesting, though. The, the word's pretty broad. So, well, we all make judgments. I mean, come on. We make judgments every day. Some of you decided this morning what you'll eat for breakfast or that you don't want to eat breakfast yet. Some of you decided yesterday which politician you would vote for and which one you wouldn't vote for. Or you, because it's, you have to. Or you said, well, I'm not going to vote for any of them. Well, congratulations, now you owe $200 to the Australian government. Some of you, we make decisions every day. You will make a decision what, eat, what to eat for lunch or what, not to eat for lunch or whatever it might be. You made a decision when you purchased a car, when you made a decision when you decided to live on the Central Coast. We make decisions and judgments every day. So don't judge. That term, judge, is broad. But specifically here, I think, obviously, the context seems to point to the relationships between Christians, right? Don't judge your brother. So does this imply then that we need to constantly turn a blind eye to sin? That, that you cannot make a judgment of any kind for any reason? Basically get rid of all moral discernment, just accept everything because that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? Is that what this verse is saying to us. No, I, this text doesn't, isn't advocating that we should throw critical thinking out the window or that we shouldn't properly evaluate things. In fact, it would be unwise to do so. Look at verse six. 
What does Jesus say in verse 6? Seems like it smells like there's a little bit of a judgment going on there. And he's actually imploring us to judge. Do you notice in chapter 7, verse 6, what does he say? He says, in the same breath, right? Don't judge us to be judged. Yeah, that's right. Don't be a hypocrite. Get the log out of your eye. But then hold on. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces, right? Whoa, just think. Stop for a second. If I step back, if I, if I obey what Jesus says here, not the first bit, but the, all of it, if I step back and I say, all right, I'm not gonna point to anyone in this room, so I'll point this way. <laughs> Dog, pig, open to God's word. Have I not at that point made a judgment? Is there not some discrimination going on there? Is not Jesus actually imploring us to do that? Don't give your dog, don't give what's sacred to the dogs. Dogs aren't these nice little household pets that he's talking about. They're the scavengers hanging around the rubbish heap of that day. They're like, I guess like dingoes in, out in the bush, if you were, a wild pack of dingoes, right? They're, they're not, oh, cute, let's go pet them. Don't give dogs what is holy. Don't, don't throw your and pearls to pigs, right? Because if you, throw, if you do that, they're not gonna think, oh, well, this is nice, this is nice food. Even if they bite into it, they're gonna realize that it's not nice food and they're gonna turn on you and tear you to pieces. They're, they can't, actually handle it. They don't even know that you're giving them a pearl and what to even do with those things. So there's some judgment. That's the whole point here, right? There's some judgment going on here. Or if you drop down to verse 15, again, same sermon, same text, Matthew 7, verse 15, look what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize, judge, you will recognize them by their fruit. Look at verse 20. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Is that a judgment? Or should you just believe everyone who comes and says, oh, I'm a, uh, I'm a you know, Christian leader. Judge them by their fruit. Look, Paul the Apostle had, was in step with this in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians chapter one, he doesn't say, yeah, you know what? Hey, look, who am I to judge? I mean, you know, if they say they're a Christian... Okay, God, you know what? God knows their heart. It's cool. No, 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 no. In Galatians 1, what does Paul say? He says that, look, guys, even if I or an angel from heaven should bring to you another gospel, not that there really is another gospel, but even if there was, right? Even I or an angel for heaven should bring to you another gospel. If someone comes and preaches to you another gospel, 
let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be damned to hell is what that is saying. I don't know how you could be more judgmental than that. Right? I mean, that's just, that's the most taboo thing in the world. Let him be damned to hell. But that's what he's saying. If someone should bring to you another gospel, let him be accursed. Watch out for false prophets. Paul's in step with this as well. But we don't have to go as far to the epistles. We don't need to keep going that far in the right in our Bibles. We can just stay right in Matthew. Because in Matthew 18, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, never, ever, 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 ever say anything because God knows their heart. Is that what Jesus says? No. If your brother sins against you, what? What are you supposed to do? Next verse, go and tell his fault. Go and show it to him. Well, that's not very nice. And we'll talk about the way in which we do that later. But do you get the point here that there's already, there's already that from this text, all of this presupposes that some forms of judging are not only legitimate, but even necessary and biblical. So this text is not saying that we can't make moral judgments. But it is saying that as believers, we cannot be hypercritical and condemning in our judgments. Christians are called to use discernment. But it's wrong to do so with a critical spirit. Biblical discernment is constructive. A critical spirit is destructive. Using biblical discernment is constructive. A critical spirit is actually destructive. And if we are censorious, it's a big term, when you think of someone censoring, censorship, what do you think of when I say censorship? Censorship, someone says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide what's appropriate here, right? Censorious, I'm, I'm going to actually decide what's appropriate here. I'm going to be the judge. If you judgments are critical, harsh, and censorious, guess what? It ultimately rebounds back in your face. That's what Jesus says. Look what he says in Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you condemn someone, you are playing the role that you should not be playing. You are setting yourself in a position which belongs to God alone. Listen. The scriptures teach that God is sovereign. He not only created all that exists, but he is currently ruling and reigning over everything. 
He is on the throne of the universe. All things are subject to his immediate control. Listen how King David, listen what King David declares about God's sovereignty. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. You see, friends, regardless if you believe that or not, or if you're feeling that this morning or not, God is the Almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that nobody can stop his will from being accomplished. God is the ultimate and supreme judge of the universe. So when you decide to judge or condemn somebody, essentially you attempt to dethrone God. Do you feel the weight of that? Instead of looking to the Lord as the ruler and judge, you set yourself in this position. Judge not so that you do not be judged. So don't judge why? Because if you do, you will actually be the one who is condemned by God at the final judgment. This is not an empty threat from Jesus here. It's not like the parent who is in a grocery store saying, all right, we're going to leave now. You know you're not really going to leave, Billy. Come on. Oh, bye-bye, Billy. And Billy knows you're not going to leave. It's an empty threat, useless threat. Right? This is not Jesus saying, judge, or I might decide to judge you. Oh, this is a promise. The Lord doesn't throw out empty threats. Judge so that you not be judged. So, I guess then, is there a balance here? Because I'm kind of almost speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Did you catch that there? I kind of, I'm trying to say, yeah, yeah, judge and then don't judge. <laughs> so like, but what, what's the balance? How, how do we call sin a sin without playing the role of God? Right? How do we call something a sin and yet don't try to dethrone God, sort of push God out of the way and put ourselves in the throne? When you ponder and understand your need for mercy on the day of God's judgment and you realize that God has judged his son in your place. And because of that, we will stand before the Lord not guilty, 
it really liberates you from judging others. Because if you are united to Jesus, your end time judgment has already been dealt with. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What an amazing salvation God has accomplished for us sinners, people worthy of his judgment, yet will receive mercy because of what Jesus has done for us. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That helps to see our judging through a Christocentric lens, as it were, through the lens of the cross. Now, that said, there is something peculiar about this passage. And I want you to notice it because we fall off the horse, I think, on one or two ways here. Either we read this passage and we go, hey, man, believe me, if I'm come to think about it, I probably got a log in both eyes. I'm not going to judge anybody. But don't miss. It says, there's, in verse 3, the person sees the speck. There's viewing there. Now, it's a blind eye doctor, obviously, right? So they can't, they've got a big plank, so they can't see very well, but they're still, they still see enough. But then in verse five, they see in order to help, right? They, they, they see not so much so that they, anymore they can judge, but they see in order so they can help the person. They've moved from a cynic to a servant, from a cynic to a servant. And that's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. I want to think about how do we move from a cynic to a servant? What does that look like? And we'll pivot on three things. But look at this interesting parable. A lot of we, people love this. Probably people, like I said, who aren't familiar with the Bible at all, they know this. It, it, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous and it's humorous all at once in verse three. You see it there? He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will notice there, see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see how he's moved there from the cynic to the servant? Now, remember, Jesus was a carpenter. 
right? He's not unfamiliar with splinters or specks and big logs. The word there could be do not look at the speck, could be like a little splinter. But then, but do not notice the beam, the massive log. So here you are judging people like, kind of like this, right? You've got this. That's kind of like, this actually might be a little fair, maybe even a little bit bigger than this. Don't notice the log. This was when you would build a home. This was sort of like a um, foundational piece. Or if you picture in a castle, they didn't have really castles that came years later. But, you know, when they, and castles, and you picture, bar the gates, close the gates, right? The, you know, the orcs are coming or, or whatever, right? You know, <laughs> if picture, you know, the two towers or whatever. You said this fortress will never fall when your men defended it. They still defended it. They've died defending it. And I've seen that too many times. <laughs> for your people, for Rohan. Anyway, but, but you picture they, and some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I've seen Lord of the Rings too much, Okay. So, but you picture it like you barring a gate, right? You picture it's a massive piece of wood. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. He says, look, you're, you're, you're judging this person that has this tiny little, say, little speck, little sawdust, and you're, you're looking at him like, <laughs> it's impossible. You can't have something like this in, in your eye, right? It's, it's thanks, buddy. It's, uh, it's totally absurd. It's, it's ridiculous. But I think if we're not careful, we can fall prey to that. So then, how do we not fall prey to that? Well, three things to move from a cynic to a servant. Number one, avoid a fault-finding mentality. Number one, avoid a fault-finding mentality. We need to be on guard against an attitude that expects perhaps at times even delights in discovering others' failures. It's all too easy to see the negative and be on the lookout for the worst in someone. I remember when I was just a teenager, I liked this beautiful blonde girl named April in our youth group. And she rejected me. She came around later. Said, look, we'll have three kids. We'll move to Australia. Life will be great. And then she said, done. (laughs) It's not true. But April became a Christian when she was 16. And I wasn't aware of that at the time. I became a Christian around the same time, actually. And we went to the same youth group. And April hung out with the scallywags of our high school, to say the least. The rat bags. So, yeah. Oh, I judged them. Everyone did. But I assumed, wrongly, wrongly, that, oh, look at her. She's up, and she was up in the front. She's in love with Jesus, singing. Just woo, and, I, and I'm sitting in the back like this, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> what a hypocrite. Look at her, look at her with her hand. Like, pfft, what a joke. It's people like that. Parenthesis, I'm still kind of mad she rejected me. Um, I was totally wrong. Right? I, was, I was making a judgment on her. 
It's embarrassing. But friends, we, we need to be aware of an attitude which expects to find fault and is disappointed when it doesn't. Romans 14 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. On the day of judgment, friend, you will give an account of yourself, not of someone else, not of your brother, not of your sister, not of your annoying coworker, but of yourself. The way in which to move from a cynic to a servant is to avoid a fault-finding mentality. Why do you see the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And now look at verse 4, because this comes our second point. Verse 4, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? The second way that we move from a cynic to a servant is is to keep a degree of self-awareness. It's to keep a degree of self-awareness. You know, King David did a horrific sin in his life. He saw a woman bathing, Bathsheba, who was already married to Uriah. He wanted to sleep with her. Uriah was out fighting the battle for King David. So he slept with Bathsheba, an adulterous affair. Then when she said, guess what? I'm pregnant, brings Uriah back, tries to have Uriah sleep with his wife, which he doesn't. So then he has Uriah murdered. David is an adulterous murderer. And Once Uriah is out of the picture, Bathsheba comes to live with him and he thinks, yeah, all good, done and dusted. And then Nathan comes to him, the prophet. And Nathan says, hey, David, how you been? Well, I got a story for you. Yeah, 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 it's a real life story. Oh, wow, tell me, Nathan. There was this rich man who had heaps of lambs and wealth and resources. He had all these lambs. You know, again, if you own animals back then, that's a sign of wealth, right? And so he's this rich guy. But there's this other guy that lives in somewhat near his neighborhood. He's got just one little lamb, cares for it, feeds for it. It's like like his child, really. It's one little lamb. Anyway, these two guys, you know, the the rich guy, he had this massive party go on because, you know, his favorite NRL team just won. And so he wanted to celebrate that. And, And guess what? He, uh, he, had this, he had this big party, and instead of grabbing one of his hundreds of lambs, he went and took that, that one lamb, that, just that one little lamb that, that, that belonged to the poor guy. And David, you can see when he hears this, his, his back bows, his chest puffs out, and he goes, that's unjust. That, that man deserves to die. Nathan goes, you're the man. David's blind. David has not at that point done any sort of 
self-examination, as it were. He's not aware of his own sin. And we can be like that too. We can be like that, you know, if you take a, a telescope, right? And you can kind of look around and go, wow, look at all these sinners. I see Bronwyn and Rob Rich back there. <laughs> Woo, let me tell you. Sorry, guys. That's right. <laughs> well, you sit so far back, I have to use a telescope so to see you. Oh, who else do I see? I won't keep embarrassing people, don't worry. Right? And, and we often look at people's sin this way, as, and, but when we want to see our own sin, we look at it the opposite way. And if you've ever looked at a telescope through the opposite way, it appears, what, far off and small. And so often our sin and judgments can be like that. We see other people's sin as grievous, horrendous, horrible, and yet we don't realize, and what do we see our own sin as? Oh, insignificant. If I see something happen in your life, I'm very quick to say, oh man, God must be disciplining you and judging you. But then when that same situation happens to me, well, it's a trial. Okay? You, you see that? You see how we're not, we're, we're very, we're very lopsided sometimes in, in our judgments of people. Perhaps one of the greatest Christian intellectuals of the 18th century, or even really of all time, was a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a key figure in a massive revival called the Great Awakening that swept across the northeastern part of America. And when Jonathan Edwards was a teenager, he had profound spiritual insight. Profound. You know, I think people shortchange teenagers today thinking, oh, they can't really handle deep things of God, so let's just throw pizza parties and entertain them and, you know, keep them busy, otherwise they'll be bad. So keep them busy and they won't be bad and just dumb down, water down the message and that's all they can handle. It's not the case with Jonathan Edwards. When Jonathan Edwards was at the age of 17, he began to think and to write deeply about God. And he wrote down a list of resolutions, 17 years old, a list of resolutions, decisions that would guard and guide the rest of his life. 70 resolutions, they're pretty famous if you were to Google them on your phone after this. Jonathan Edwards, type that in uh, online. You get to see the whole list there. And I want to read for you his eighth resolution. In Jonathan Edwards' eighth resolution, listen to what he says. Resolve to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I. And as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only on occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. See what he's saying there? Look, I don't want to see the faults of others without first thinking that I could be just as bad, if not worse, than that person. There but for the grace of God go I. What honesty and what tremendous depth of spiritual insight. You know, it's interesting in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter one, there's a focus on the Gentiles, 
The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness who suppress the truth. Yes, yes, yes. And if you're a Jew, you hear that and you go, get them, Paul. Get those bad, bad Gentiles, Paul. Yeah. And it's if Paul knows that the most self-righteous of the Jews would have been applauding his smashing of the Gentiles. So he turns to them in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you know, just like the Gentiles, we Jews have broken God's law and are under his judgment. Look what he says, Romans 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge, those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's interesting there. Why is there this blindness? Well, it's because there's a very small degree of self-awareness, isn't there? That's why you can become a cynic. So we move from being a cynic to a servant by avoiding a fault-finding mentality, by keeping a degree of self-awareness, and lastly, having a heart to help. Having a heart to help. That, that comes in verse 5. If I, hopefully I've made that clear, but, but look again at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, sadly, many read this passage and think, well, hey, I'm never going to remove the speck from my brother's eye because I won't grab the big piece of timber again, but that's me, man. So who am I to, you know what? It's off limits. Is that what the text is getting at? Do you see the help? Do you see how we move from a cynic to a servant? Is it actually to be helpful? The Lord is, is not encouraging a laissez-faire attitude in regards to sin. We're not off the hook. Once we take out our own logs, we need to help our brother. Galatians 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, sin, listen, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you have a speck in your eye, it is not meant to be there. It's uncomfortable. It ruins your vision. And sometimes you can't get it out yourself. You need someone's help. And the procedure of taking out a splinter of an eye is a very delicate matter. It needs to be done with gentleness, patience, and understanding. Same goes with someone's soul, my friend. Even more delicate. It too requires a humble, sympathetic, and consciousness and awareness of our own 
sins. But I hope you see clearly, pun intended, but I hope you see clearly it would be a very flat-footed, wrong way to read this as judge not lest ye be judged. Don't forget you're just as bad as the person next to you, so hands off. God alone will deal with them. Are you okay with the splinter being in your brother's eye? Well, I mean, I don't want to judge them. You need to judge them in a way with gentleness and respect and love and patience and empathy. You, you see that? How do you do it? You, you help them. You get the, okay, now that I've got the log out of my own eye, let, here, brother, let, let, me help, let me help you. Because sin is grievous. Sin will ultimately, if not repented of, drag you to hell. This is a big deal. And so we're not people that just say, oh, well, you know, hey, I'm not going to judge them because it's amazing to you. How many, I'm just curious of a show of hands. Maybe this is just a, I don't know, America, Southern California thing, but, but maybe not. Out of a show of hands, because I hear this all the time. People says, oh, I'm not going to judge them. If you've heard this phrase, raise your hand. Hey, God knows, God, God knows my heart. God knows their heart. If you've heard if that, okay, so oh, good. It's not just a Southern California thing. Well, maybe it's not good. God knows their heart. What does the Bible say about the human heart? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? Only God can. What does the Bible talk about in the Old Testament? I'll remove from you a heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. That's the new covenant promise. God knows their heart. Their heart's depraved. Wake up. We need the Spirit of God to convict and we need our brothers and sisters to do it. Oh, I pray that this church never falls into a shallow sort of jellyfish, spineless mentality where we don't help our brothers and sisters who are in sin. If your brother sins against you, go show him his fault and then bring her two or three witnesses along with you. And if he still or she doesn't repent, tell it to the church and treat them like you would an unbeliever. We may have to do that here, Wyoming Church of Christ. Are you wanting that? Or do we love people enough to do that? It's unloving to just, it's like if someone's in a burning house and they're asleep. You're not going to walk past and go, well, hey, you know, who am I? I mean, you know, it's their house. It's their sleep. I don't want to interrupt their sleep after all. And, and, and who knows? Maybe the house really isn't burning, you know? Maybe this is just a figment of my imagination. Maybe I'm just such a negative person. I think all the houses are burning. Look, if the house is burning, you're going to run in there. You're going to wake the person up and say, get out. You're going to die, right? It's the same thing with someone caught in a specific grievous sin. If they will not repent of it, they are on the road to destruction, friend. And it is unloving, unwise, unchristian, unbiblical for you to be silent about it. We cannot be silent about these issues. But we do so with gentleness, as the Bible says, with love. I pray that that is the culture of this church. That this church, that Wyoming Church of Christ, listen, would be so committed to God, 
so committed to holiness that on their own, no one would ever want to be a part of this unless the Spirit of God was so working in their heart and their life and drawing them here and drawing them to him herself. That this church would be so committed to God and so committed to holiness that we love one another, that we hold a mirror up to our brothers and sisters here and say, I just want to show you who you are and what you're doing right now and what the Bible calls you and let me flip the mirror on myself and what the Bible's calling us to be as believers, as the church. I want this church to be salt and light in this community. And I pray that we take this and we balance these things well. That's my prayer. So judge not lest you be judged. Good stuff to think about. Don't waste the time when you have coffee talking mainly about politics. Inevitably, that's going to come up. Careful, though. Let's talk about how, ways that we can really spur one another on to love and good deeds. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We pray that, Lord, as this information is still sort of sitting on some of our minds, perhaps for the first time,